think it's silly, but that's Star Wars for you. And we back, and we're back. Um, uh, this is um, Consuming a Bay with me, Nick, and Nathaniel Metcalf is in the ha- in the treehouse. We are in the treehouse. We're up in the clubhouse treehouse. We've climbed it again for another week. Uh, together we are the JCAS, the John, John Carpenter, Carpenter Appreciation Society. Uh, if you listened to last week's episode, uh, it was the bumper John Carpenter 75th <laughs> oh, birthday bumper. episode. Um, and uh, we, believe it or not, we are still reeling from uh, from it. Uh, th- if you listened, thank you very much for listening. Um, and if you didn't, then... Um, You're just not trying hard What enough. a weird one to start with. Why would you start with this one? Why would you start with this one? Um, how are you doing, Nat? Are you all right? I'm good. I'm good, yeah. I'm not having a bad time. We're drinking out of our... Um, uh, 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 they Live mugs. Our official... I have, I have Obey. And I've got Consume. Did you say they are official or that one of them may be official and one the other one might not be? I think my one is official. Right. I bought... Um, uh, so we, we record this show in my flat and... Um, uh, in the treehouse. In in the treehouse. We in the, oh yes. Well, we record this show in the treehouse. Uh, me and Nathaniel and JC three thousand. Good evening. Oh, go away. We're not talking to you <laughs> right now. Um, okay. Okay. So um, uh, and it's all decked out with all of our all of our stuff, and uh, we've got a, a fog mug with the uh, registration KAB one three four zero. Uh, and we've also got the Porkchop Express mug. And today I am drinking tea, Yorkshire tea. Don't normally drink tea. This is probably my first cup of tea of the year and probably the last three years. Uh, <laughs> and I'm drinking it out of, and I think this is an official John Carpenter mug. Or maybe it's not official, but on one side it says consume. and On the other side it says no independent thought. And your mug, Nathaniel. Just says the word obey. On both sides. It says obey on both sides. And I think that um, if you look at it very, very closely, it's the, the, the text is ever so slightly pixelated, which gives you the impression. I think you're right. I think yours is... I think someone has basically bought your mug, thought it said consume on one side and obey on the other, and has gone, oh, I wanted one with obey, and have therefore created their own... I'm not sure how much consume and obey is a is a is a topic is a phrase. Is do you think it is? Um, no, maybe not. I think I just picked two words because I think when I was trying to find uh, uh, evidence that consume and obey was a thing, right? I found it quite difficult to find evidence of it. I think it's just two words that are used, and I think that obey is the big one because it became a clothing brand. Um, but yes, I've got uh, four mugs here. In my in the treehouse, uh, for Beans. whenever we ever have any guests, yeah, over and forever, you, whenever you drink tea, which we've realized is about once every three years, once every three years. Now, th- how is your tea tasting? It's nice, it's is yours it? all right. I don't know whether it's the fact that I put uh, way too much Canderell spoonful in oh, it. Oh, you put loads in yours. I did put loads in it. I don't know whether it's because I'm not used to Yorkshire tea, or I don't know whether it's because it's the almond milk. But something in this is not tasting great. But I'll battle through. I'll battle oh. through. I'm a I'm a trooper. That's what I do. No, mine's good. I think I'm enjoying mine. Yeah, um, mine's all right. Mine tastes. Oh, mine mine tastes like breakfast. It's the uh, almond milk. It tastes like it tastes like. Um, oh, what you put on your cereal? It tastes like 
cereal, but because it's sweet, it tastes like milk that has, you know. Yeah, it has absorbed some sugar. It's it's like it's like the milk at the bottom of the cereal bowl, the backwash, the milky backwash, the milky milky backwash. Nick Helm. Yeah. Uh, what have you consumed in the last seven days? Well, I think that that's very interesting that you would start with uh, start with me. Um, <laughs> what have I watched recently? Hmm. Um, <laughs> I can't find my list. So this is a bad start. Should I episode. tell you what I might have watched in the last seven days? Uh, yeah, sure. Why don't you tell me what you've watched? I'll tell you, a film that I would recommend. I, I went in, I, bought, I got the Blu-ray for it. Uh, and I went in slightly sceptical, or not knowing what I think of it, and mm. it was a film. If you've never listened to the podcast before, this podcast is a podcast where I, Nick, and Nat, Daniel Metcalf, uh, talk about the films that we have consumed, or the film's music, whatever, but it's always films. Films we've consumed over the last week or since the last time we saw each other. And then if you've got any suggestions for stuff that we can uh, to watch or if you've got any f- uh, appreciation mail to send in or if you've got any um, advice you need, any advice you need. If you need any advice, write into uh, Nick and, and Nat, JCAS at gmail.com. And just if you want if for advice, just put into the subject heading uh, touching, touching tips. tips. Touching uh, tips. We didn't get any touching tips last week and we haven't had any touching tips this week. Yeah. But I am I am fucking adamant that this is gonna be a feature in the show and so so write in for any touching tips that you might that you might need. Mm. Uh, and uh, if it's uh, appreciation mail or um, or, or recommendations, then mm-hmm. uh, just let us know. And if there's anything that you recommend that we want to watch, then we will obey. But, mm-hmm. like, to be honest... If we don't want to watch it, we probably won't If obey. we don't want to watch it, you can't make us, right? And uh, and I thought that the show would be like, we're going to consume stuff, and then if you suggest stuff, we'll obey. But I don't want to watch all of the Revenge of the Nerds films. I don't, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't think you did that for us to like. I think that you did that specifically to torture us. I, th- I find that find that a bit upsetting. Yeah, upsetting. Um, yes. So the film that you watched this oh, week, I watched on Blu-ray format. I watched the film The Cat. What I'd say is, what I'd say is that this show isn't about two nerds. That like watching shit films and talking about how you know. Like, I always get recommendations. Like, You'll like this, and it's like, oh, an evening of of bad movies, and you kind of like go, no, nah, no, nah, I, I don't like bad movies. I, I I I do enjoy bad movies. I do like. I do enjoy bad. I like, but I like all films, and I'd much rather watch a good one. Yeah, I don't. I, I just feel recommend- like too old. I'm too old to watch a bad movie. Have you ever seen Troll Two? No. It's good. Oh, yeah. Really enjoyable. Like, okay. really good. And you can kind of like go, I can't believe they made that. That's brilliant. It's like, it's rubbish, but it's, it's it's great. Okay. So occasionally you'll see a film that's like, oh, my God, that is terrible. But more often than not, they're boring. And, yeah. and I'd just ra- really rather watch a good film. So any recommendations for good films? The good film I watched this week. Because somebody said that Cliffhanger was a bad film. And it's like, Cliffhanger is a good film. It's a good film. It is a good film. They were doing like a bad cinema club, and Cliffhanger was one of the films on bad I do cinema think that club. That is silly. And then you just like go Cliffhanger. 
Do you know how many worst... There's worse, Sylvester Stallone films. There's right? worse Sylvester Stallone films. There's worse Die Hard films. There's worse action films. There was worse films made in 1993. Mm. Like, leave Cliffhanger alone. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, probably... Uh, what's his name? Is a... Uh, is he Craig Fairbrass or is that the one from That's Right Craig, Said Fred? It's Craig Fairbrass, yeah. What's the guy from oh, Richard Fairbrass? He's Richard right Fairbrass, Fred, Fairbrass isn't he? Richard Fairbrass. Craig Fairbrass. That's his best film. That's his. That's his. That's his best film. Um, Michael Michael Rooker is his most accessible film. Oh, it was until Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe. Yeah. But like, um, do you want to hear my uh, Michael Rooker impression? Yes, please. Seasons over, asshole. <laughs> that's what it, that, I think. It sounds a lot like him. Um, yeah, that's that's what he says when uh, he uh, throws Craig Fairbrass off of uh, off of a mountain. There you go. Can you do an impression of uh, uh, John Lithgow in uh, Cliffhanger? Cliffhanger. So sue me. Yeah. So sue me. So sue me. So sue me. So sue me. You go like, what are you doing? Why did they have to make him British? I don't know. So sue me. Like, that's basically what Stewie Griffin's based on from Family Guy. <laughs> whenever I hear him, whenever I'm in a hotel room uh, uh, and I'm watching Family Guy, because that's the only place that I watch. <laughs> like, Family Guy, whenever you go to any hotel, Family Guy is always on. I think it's on, like, one of the channels 24 hours a day. It's like, they, I'd like Family Guy is the show for people that have given up on trying to find something else. I saw, I was thinking through the channels the other day and Family Guy was on, ITV2 it was on, and it was the Family Guy episode that I've never seen. I don't watch Family Guy at the best time, but the one you've heard about, which is the one that has the Simpsons guest oh, starring. And it was horrible. depressing. So depressing. Because it's making, it's making a thing that's better than it sort of down to its level. It was really not just, horrible. Not, not just down to its level. It's sort of, it is, ba- oh my God. Oh, it's horrible. It was horrible. There's a bit when they do the prank phone calls. Yes. And Bart Simpson does a prank and then Stewie does it and it's a rape joke. Yeah. And you go, what? It's horrible. And so now, you've got like Bart they, Simpson in a, in involved a, in a rape joke. And, and it's like, that. It's, it's disgusting. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. They yeah. should all have been ashamed of themselves. Yeah. And the guy, Matt Groening and all, everyone involved with the Simpsons should have told them absolutely no way we're doing this. Told them to fuck off. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. Still anyway. American Dad's good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I had to turn over after that. Yeah. That was the bit I turned over on. I was, uh, yeah, that, I, I thought that, that was horrible. That was the bit that broke me. I was like, no. I, I think I may have watched it all in clips. I don't know. I don't know. It was bad. Anyway, what have you been, uh, what have you been appreciating this week? I saw 1939's The Cat and the Canary with Bob Hope. Fuck off. I watched The Cat and the Canary, but the 70s remake very recently and I, then that was the I don't know if I did actually <laughs> <laughs> the Cat and the Canary is one of them films that they've, re, loads, they've loads remade of them, it loads there's about four of them I, think, I don't even think the Bob Hope one is the first one no I don't think it is it's like it's a no I think it might be the first film it was a play I think originally from what I've, what I've gathered is it, it was Ag- like a sort of spooky play it's not Agatha Christie is it no but it's Agatha Christie-esque yeah it's, it's um, but it's definitely well it's horror in it. there's not supernatural but it's definitely horror it's like it's like a slasher it's like a it's like a whodunit yeah. thriller and it's it's like a murder mystery thing where um, and then there were one 
yeah, and, and let me see if I know if I can if I can get this right. It, so it's about a, a a millionaire who invites a load of people to come and see the reading of his will, and they all get one by one picked off. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it, um, and there's in this one there's also meant to have been there's a there's a rumor going around that there's an escaped killer, and um, the. And it's Bob Hope, so I guess it's a comedy. And I think the one in the 70s was kind of like a spoof. Uh, I think I might have seen the 70s one as well. I'm trying to think. I can't remember much about it, but go on. Uh, but, it, again, it's that thing where people talk about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which I've seen and have enjoyed. But it's just this thing where it's it's really funny. And I don't know why I thought it might be a bit hard going. But Bob Hope is really funny in it. He's got such a kind of... He's got that thing that he can deliver jokes that are, you know, that are even quite bad jokes within the context of the film. But he's got a bit of a wink to camera to go, yeah, it's rubbish, isn't it? But it does work in this context. He's got such a great... It was a real, like, Bob Hope appreciation of being like, I really like you as a comic. It doesn't... Nothing he's doing undermines anything that's going on. It's got genuinely bits that are very creepy. Um, it looks spectacular. Like it's that, um, um, again, another universal one where it really does feel like they've got these sort of craftsmen that just really know how to light everything. And it looks like proper, like a proper horror movie, really nice black and white photography. Mm. Looks great. It's got gags in it, but it never undermines the actual spooky stuff. The gags are really good and feel... Like it was, it was another one where I was really, I really appreciate Bob Hope for how modern he felt as a comic. Not the Cat and the Canary, the old Dark House. That's gotcha. what I've seen. The William Castle one. Uh, um, no, not that one. I've just bought the part, <laughs> volume two of the William Castle box set, right. which the Cat and the Canary is in. I watched the, not the Cat and the Canary, the old Dark, the old house. Dark house. I watched the original, the old Dark House, recently, right, like last week or two weeks ago, um, and I and and that's had. A remake or, or many remakes? Yeah, I think it's. I think as far as I know, only one, and that's a William Castle remake. Yeah, that, that was. I think co-produced. Is it co-produced by Hammer? I think might have a maybe have have a hand in it. I might be wrong about that. Sure. Right in if I'm wrong. Don't bother. I don't. I'm not hundred percent. I think it's got. I think Hammer have got a hand in the remake, and they've gone. And it's quite a nice, a bit of a a collab, as they say in the modern parlance, between William Castle and. Hammer. Right. Hammer. The um, the 70s Cat and the Canary starred Edward Fox and Honor Blackman. And I don't know if there are are many more, but I thought I thought it was like the sort of film that gets remade like every couple of decades. I think there's several. I think there is several. And maybe there's some TV versions of it. And, 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 you know, this is like, I mean, they've done it as they've really played up the comic elements well, of it. It's Bob Hope. It's Bob Hope. Because I think what it is, it's that they, they make out that the it's a very kind of spooky you know, reading of the will. And what they point out is that this is a play that's really, you know, that's quite well known at that point. And they're almost making fun of the play by sort of suggesting that all, already these ideas have become, um, they're almost cliched at this point. Right. Out, sort of creaky doors and things. Right, right. But kind of it's all from this play. They're sort of, sort of saying the originator of this. So you can kind of do it. And also slightly undermine it by being a bit kind of winky about it and a but, bit kind but of. But what about the mousetrap? Is is that not like something that would have? Originated? I think that is. I think that is like that now. I think that's. Certainly... But the mousetrap was one of the, was was what's the joke behind the mousetrap? The the thing about the mousetrap was that um, uh, 
the guy, a guy had the film rights to it. And um, it was written in his contract that he wasn't allowed... Oh, to make it until they yeah, he stopped. Yeah. They, so The Mousetrap was um, was a play, mm-hmm. and uh, a guy bought the rights to it, but he wasn't allowed to make the film until like six months after the the play had stopped yeah. um, being in the West End. Uh, so he was like, brilliant, right, I'm going to make this film in a couple of years. And then The Mousetrap was obviously the long... It is He's still the, waiting. The longest running... <laughs> Uh, uh, play in the West End, and it's never been off. And it's been, it's been what? How long's it been up there? About hundred years? It's seventy years, or something. I thought it was. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's been. When did it? When was Agatha Christie around? Uh, I don't know what year she died. I mean, the, the Marples are set in the fifties, aren't they? So she must have died in maybe the late fifties or sixties at the very, uh, at the very earliest. I presume the. Um, the Poirots are earlier because they're all sitting like the 30s, aren't they? Uh, I guess so. Um, when Agatha was Christie. Agatha Christie. Uh, JC3000, when was uh, when was uh, Agatha Christie alive? Agatha Christie was born on 15th September 1890 and died 12th of January 1976. 76? Oh, right, 76. Yeah. So, so she just missed out on Star Wars, but she did enjoy Jaws. Yeah, she probably was able to watch uh, the Sydney Lumet Murder on an Express film with... Uh, she would have probably been at the premiere. I, I imagine she imagine, would have been. I'd imagine, yes. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? I would like to think so. Um, but anyway, I'd really recommend it. It's a really, it's a really <laughs> spooky film. It's genuinely funny. It's got good jokes in it. And I was, I really went away like, big thumbs up for uh, this Bob Hope film. There's two on the DV, on the Blu-ray. Right. There's that and another one called Ghostbreakers. You bought the Blu-ray? The Blu-ray. You bought the Blu-ray? Yeah. You bought um, you bought you bought a double bill of Bill Bob Hope movies, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. That is that is almost like uh, beyond even my level. Oh no, oh no, that that's uh... <laughs> no 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 no. That's right on my level. <laughs> no, you're right. You no, are it's right. and also they're both and that, films, and that's me uh, sitting in my treehouse full of crap. Um, <laughs> no, but I think I think what well, before, basically my before favorite... we started recording. <laughs> There's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade machine in the corner of the room, yeah. which I bought just before lockdown. It's a four-player. I've got loads of fond memories of that. I bought it just before lockdown. And uh, I never had anyone to play it with. <laughs> and I basically have never played it. Right? It's, this, it's this arcade machine that takes up so much space in the room. And there's, a, there's um, illustrated pictures of all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the mm-hmm. side of the arcade. But there's a photo of uh, a April woman O'Neil. playing April O'Neil. And uh, Nathaniel asked me, um, gosh, this woman that's playing April O'Neil on the side of this arcade, she looks like she's about 16. Uh, and uh, quick as a flash, I replied, she's 27. Uh, <laughs> because that is how old April O'Neil is. I know. I shouldn't know. I shouldn't know as a 42-year-old, uh, as a 42-year-old with a life, how do I have one life? Oh, that's the thing. Maybe I don't have a life. As a 42-year-old, I shouldn't know how old April O'Neil no. is, but she's 27. She's 27. Yeah. But I would say that film is absolutely in my wheelhouse. And by what do, what film is that? This is The, the Cat Bob and the Canary. Film. The Cat and the Canary. Is exactly the type of film that I will go, that sounds interesting. I'm well up for that. Whether I, whether I think I'll like it or not, I'm much more likely to watch a film that I think might be interesting. Whether I like it or not is almost by the by. Well, I, yeah, I know. I'm, 
Well, I was talking to someone. I was talking to. I was talking to Joey Page. I did Joey Page's podcast, and he was like saying, "Because now we're doing this, and I do my other um, podcast, the Film Quiz podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always liked films, but all of a sudden, it's but like surprisingly, I don't do sh- Edinburgh shows about mm. films." Um, and I'm always sort of like talk, uh, interested in films, talk about films, love films, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but now it's becoming like more like public knowledge that I, uh, I'm into films. So people talk to me about films now in a way that they didn't used to. And uh, Joey Page was just sort of like, well, you really like films. And it's just like, well, um, yeah, but I don't have a favourite film. And it's like, like, in actual fact, if you've watched five films, you've probably got a favourite film. But I mean, I just basically want to watch every film ever made now. <laughs> And it's not a case of I I just want to watch good ones, but I, or I just want to watch bad ones. It's like I just want to watch any films. And and what I find is when you like, it's like you're mining, like like it really sort of like organizes your viewing, um, your viewing schedule. Do you know what I mean? And it's like you're mining for like ore in the rocks, and you you find a rich vein by like oh there's a there's um. You know, uh, it's coming up to Christmas, and uh, we're going to watch all of the Harry Potter films, and mm-hmm. then that basically um, that basically sorts out what you're going to be watching for that. And then when you get to the end of that, it's kind of like you either want a, ch- a change of that or something else. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like you're trying to find kind of something. It's almost like you're uh, windsurfing, and you're looking for kind of like uh, the uh, wave, the wind, the wind or the wave or something to take you along on that. You know. Um, and, and and occasionally you'll go out for your day of of windsurfing, and you'll end up with kind of like um, I don't know Leprechaun Four, but like sometimes oh oh what did I watch the other day? I watched um, uh, it was a Peter Cushing movie uh, be- called Shockwaves. Shockwaves, yes. Have you seen that? Yeah, you've seen that. Of course, you've seen that. I mean, it looked like it looked like one of the cheapest. Yeah, like it, it was like a. I became obsessed with the idea of Shockwave. I worked twenty years ago. I worked in a picture library that specialised in pictures from films. Right, and they had different folders, and then one of these folders is called Shockwaves, and I thought this film doesn't even exist. I was really like, yeah. never heard of it, and it's got Peter Cushing in it. And it's it's basically Nazi zombies on a submarine, and I thought it sounds incredible. Mm. So, and it's John Carradine, Peter Cushing. Yes, John Carradine's in it very briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think he's like he's on the poster because I mean I guess he's the only other person who's, who's yeah. sort of known in it. And I remember so, and it, I probably took another sort of five years, and I think eventually there was like an American DVD, mm. and it was a bit disappointing from the from the premise and the poster. But it was one of those films that I was like, I've got to get this. A bit film. disappointing. It is. <laughs> I mean, I why did I watch it? it it's, years ago, I was writing a play, a play about a, a failed um, uh, uh, Nazi experiment, uh, and then uh, where they were trying to create super soldiers, and then years later, it meant that you know people were immortal. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and it was all evil and all this other stuff. So I was writing kind of like this thing about that. And then, and then, and then th- this was years ago, like 20 years ago. And now uh, I'm scrolling through Amazon and then this thing called Shockwaves comes up and it's like a zombie movie about 
Nazi super soldiers that have been uh, that, that are like uh, running riot on an island, and it stars Peter Cushing. And I was like, right, this this, this looks like, and it was like mm, eighty six minutes long, yeah. and it's like this looks like a, a like a, a Sunday afternoon movie, right? So I'm going to watch this. So turn the central heating up, get in, get under my duvet, and I put on shockwaves. It just, it was, the it was, it was wall to wall. It was shit, wasn't it? It's just a horror, it's just like, there's no artistry involved in it whatsoever. I, hmm. The one thing I think they do quite well is the look of the uh, Nazi zombies, mm-hmm. where they've all got like goggles. And, yes. uh, but I suspect that's because they were walking through a lot of water. And the, the, like, there's all these scenes of, it's the same four actors that are playing these Nazis, and um, and uh, and it's not what it, it, it says. It's basically there's a bunch of people that uh, it's book ended with this woman who's the only survivor, which uh, of of um of like uh, they find her on a boat. These guys find her on a boat. They get her onto the thing and they start talking to her, and she's the only survivor of this kind of like thing. And then she tells the story. But like that ruins the ending because you know who you know you know no one survives and you know that she's the only one so it's kind of like okay right so then you're watching this film and it plays out and it's basically these I, like they must have just filmed it on um, like in Tenerife or something on the uh, on like uh, when it wasn't like peak season you know they must have filmed it in like Tenerife in the winter where. Uh, there's a deserted hotel basically, and they're fi- and it just this it looks it looks awful. There's no artistry to it. The shots are rubbish, and and every, and all of these Nazi soldiers, these four guys, that basically have to play the, the these a horde like a like a whole kind of troop of of Nazi zombies. You've got these four guys, and they keep kind of like emerging out of the water, and you can imagine it's kind of like. They're walking slowly out of the water. It's a bit like Land of the Dead when all of the zombies cross yeah. from one end to the other and then very, it's like, they sort of, like, emerge sinisterly, 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 sinisterly out of the water. Like, bit by bit, they rise out of the water and you go, like, oh, it's creepy. But basically, you know, they've got air trapped in all their costumes and stuff and they're like wobble, wobbling around in the water and there's the four guys that are trying to kind of like look kind of like um, like, menacing. like menacing and they're basically just sort of like uh, fully clothed with goggles on and bleach blonde hair and they're all sort of like wobbling around on the water because they can't get a good like foot purchase on it because they're in like a pond in, in fucking... Tenerife in the winter, and it just looks. I don't know where it was filmed. I don't know, but I, but I, I thought it may have been like a deserted island. But then you go, no, it's set on a deserted island. They basically just found an empty hotel. I only ever saw it that once. It was. um, I, I had to, I I had to watch it in something like four, four parts because I just was, I (laughs) was not. And the first part was the longest part. Took so long to get going that when it got going, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to break it down a bit. Um, I, I, what I want to know about it though. For you, from you, Nick, is it the worst Peter Cushing movie you've seen? Does it displace Biggles, which, as we know, is your worst film? I think, I think Biggles probably is a lot better in I retrospect. Think it probably is. I think that um, I just found it boring because I was a kid and there was yeah. a lot of talking. 
because uh, I definitely watched it when I lived in London, and mm-hmm. we moved out of London when I was seven. So I definitely watched it before then. Um, I think that I think probably I didn't enter into the spirit of things with Biggles. I mean, I'm being kind. And I'm thinking about, and I'm just thinking, I didn't enter into the spirit of things with it, and it was probably aimed at someone that was a bit older than me, and I, I didn't really get it. Uh, and if I was to watch it now, I think it would be like pleasantly surprising little uh, British, mm. you know, romp. This was just like there's, I couldn't, I couldn't see much value to it. No. And Peter Cushion looked so ill in it. He goes through a point. There's a point I think after his wife dies that he looks incredibly ill. Well, he's wearing like um, like a short sleeved shirt, and his arms are just incredibly skinny, yeah. and his his skin is virtually translucent. But then he actually gets by the time he's you know he has this period where he's like he looks so ill, but he actually does later on. He does kind of bounce back a bit. When was this? So this, well, I can't remember what year Shockwaves is. Or is it seventy nine? Because I, I can't, maybe I can't remember he if it died, was... He died. He didn't die till ninety three, I think. No, I remember him dying, and there was a thing in the Radio Times about it. Shockwave seventy seven, seventy seven, same year, same as year as Star Wars. <laughs> but he's in Star Wars, so it makes sense. Yes, yeah, I know, but like, yeah. So yeah, I guess he yeah. By the time he's in Star Wars, to he be looks honest, a lot. he looks pretty ill in Star Wars. Oh, I think he looks all right in Star Wars. No, I think he looks really ill in Star Wars. Um, it's like when they did the CGI Peter Cushion for Rogue One, and they kind of gave his skin like that translucent kind of. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like he it's a like strange palette. It was like he was molded out of wax in uh, in Rogue One, but that's kind of like what he looked like. The worst Peter Cushion film I've seen. There are a lot of bad ones, to be fair. I love Peter Cushion, but a lot of it is going through some bad movies. Is one that's called uh, I've seen it on TV as No Secrets, and the only people I know that have seen this film is my brother, who I watched it with, and Robin Ince. I don't know anyone else who's ever seen it. Uh, no Secrets is what it was on TV as. It's also known as A Touch of the Sun. It's Peter Cushion and Oliver Reed. Uh, the sets are aren't really. It must be one of the most low budget films I've ever seen. There aren't really sets. There are paintings of like rooms and things where they're acting in front of like it's like a stage. It's like a real like they've just painted in the background. Right. Um, I think Melvin Hayes is also in it. It's barely a film. It's so odd. And there's a bit where like you can see like there's a bit where characters kind of move out the way of the camera as if like that's not their guys. Do you know what I mean? They're sort of they're, they're literally in rooms that are so small that they're shuffling past right, the camera yeah, 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 yeah. and you go that's ridiculous the camera is invisible it's not actually in the room <laughs> yeah. but it is in this film because it must be on tiny sets and it's so it's so low budget with these kind of quite big actors in it that you it just feels like this can't be a film this is so ridiculous that they're they're filming it in such tiny sets and such um sort of small rooms that it's almost that they should have turned up and turned, just turned on the heels and gone. No, we're not. We're not doing this. This isn't a real film. Yeah, it's, it's so ridiculous that any of them are even in it. Yeah, because you're watching. I was watching Shockwaves, just like going, how how did they go about asking? There's a bit where it's just like Peter Cushing had to die face down in the water, and you go, how did you go about asking him to do that? And is he just being like incredibly professional about it? And is he going home at night and like and crying about it and writing it in his memoirs and just like <laughs> I got treated so badly today? Do you know what I mean? It's just like I it just looked like an absolutely miserable 
a miserable shoot. So but when you on. hear about these things, because you also hear about like um, Halloween's one. I read about something the other day where it's like, of course they asked Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing to do this first. What, and, Halloween? Yeah, and you go, right, yeah. And they're turning things down, but also are appearing in dreadful Howling things. Howling 2. Yeah, so you're going like, this is sort of extraordinary. Like, what are you... You've accepted this, though. Howling 2 is great, though. It's fun. It's probably better than The Howling. Have we talked about this? I don't think we have on air. I don't think we have. Um, So American Werewolf in London and The Howling both came out in the same year, and there's some weird debate over, well, which is the better werewolf movie? Uh, And it's like, well... It's American Werewolf in London. American Werewolf in London isn't just the best werewolf movie of 1981. It's the best werewolf movie of all time. The Howling, ah, oh, I don't know if I've sat through it all in one go. I find it so fucking boring. I watched it for the first time, maybe in lockdown. Never, ever seen it. Never seen it. And I watched it, and it was like, it was kind of a bit hard going. And I thought, and I had a real like, well, I've never watched this. Joe Dante, I must be mad. I watched it and went, oh, well, that's... That's why. That's why. And like, like when I was recommending Piranha to you, it was partly because I thought, well, actually, maybe all these things up until like Gremlins are actually a bit rubbish, and it's it's when you watch Piranha, you go, "No, Piranha's great." I really enjoy Piranha when I rewatched it, and and to be honest, I'm to be fair, I'm going to give The Howling another go, like to properly sit down and watch it. It How- has a couple of moments where you go, "This is it. This is good," where it really feels like it's doing what it's what I feel it's trying to do, where it's got that kind of slightly knowing kind of comedy elements. Yeah. And it's got, like, Patrick McNee, and it's got, like, these But they've kind of all got, op- like, uh, self-aware, like, names in yeah. them, right? Or is it someone called Hitchcock or something? something that, yes, it is a bit the, like the, that. The, uh, I think that's Final Destination, but there is a name where, like, there is a thing where they're being named after kind of, like, other directors. Yeah, sure. But um, Howling 2 is famously one of the worst sequels ever made, and I watched it. And I fucking loved it. I it's thought fun. it was brilliant. Edgelord reviews. Like, it's a bad movie, but it's a bad movie if you compare it to the first one. If you kind of, like, enjoy it as, like, yeah. an experience and just sort of, like, let it wash over you. I just thought it was, I thought it was a really entertaining movie. The Howling 2 is much more the film that I thought The Howling would be like. Right. It's a comedy It's a horror. comedy. It's really camp. Uh, it's it's kind of like it's really there's this really um, oh I know what you're gonna say I think no oh, no go on no there's this really iconic um, uh, costume that mm-hmm. the woman is wearing yes. um, which is like made of like leather and it's kind of like it was really uncomfortable for her to wear and she wears these huge sunglasses and it's like a really kind of 1980s iconic look it looks absolutely incredible like um, you're looking for like horror iconography. This costume is just absolutely incredible. And the reason why she um, is wearing uh, these huge glasses is that she got an eye infection and um, and her eye just got uh, inflamed and she got like a sty in it and it was like all disgusting and, and gungy and all that stuff. So she had to wear these huge like aviator shades and she looks fucking wicked in them. And... Uh, yeah, I think I, I thought it was brilliant. Um, you thought I was going to talk about the end credits. No, but we that also worth The end credits is slightly problematic. The weirdest bit in it yeah. is a bit where it, where this film... Was it made in the States? And then suddenly there's a scene in which Jimmy Nail pops up. 
Oh, no, I don't remember that at all. Jimmy Nail pops up, oh, playing an American. This. I do remember this. And you go, what? Yeah. How, how is this? When When was Jimmy Nail I've got this? a feeling it was filmed in, like, Europe. But, right. Um, but I, it's, uh, and, and it's got, well, famously, it's got Christopher Lee in it. Yes. Who had seen The Howling, and maybe he'd turned The Howling and down. And I think, yeah, and he'd, uh, and it, yeah, he'd, I, think he, I think maybe he'd turned The Howling down, got asked to do this, and agreed. And this was a, this was apparently the thing where, where he eventually agreed to do Gremlins 2. Well, he did Gremlins 2, and Joe Dante, who directed The Howling, but had nothing to do with The Howling 2, and uh, was obviously did Gremlins and Gremlins 2, when uh, Christopher Lee and Joe Dante worked together on Gremlins 2, Christopher Lee went straight up to him and he said... And didn't he say, apologise for doing it? Yeah, he said... He said, I, I'm terribly sorry. Go on. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. I was just in the howling too. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I'm sure they had an old, big old laugh about that. Yeah, but it is, um, it's fun. And the ending of it is basically just a series of, like, uh, breast shots. Sybil, no, it's not a series of breast shots. Sybil Downing was the, uh, was the, was the, the woman in it, um, the female. It's called The Howling Two. Your sister is a werewolf. Yes, it is. Yeah, that, and uh, and Sybil Danning plays like the sister. I guess uh, it's not a series of, of breast shots. There is one shot in the film where she takes her top off. Yes, and in the end credits, they replay that shot. Yeah. Oh yes. Seventeen yeah. times. It's the same. Yeah, same shot. It's either seventeen times or twenty-one times. It's the same shot, just almost on a loop. But they use it uh, as uh, there's a music. There's a bit of the, they're playing a song in the cold, cold night. It's like this, um, like nineteen eighties British new wave song that plays all the way through the entire film. It's like they play it on repeat all the way through the entire film. It's just like over and over and over again. And at the end, there's kind of like a drum beat, and they use this shot of uh, of Sybil Danning taking her top off uh, and exposing her breasts. And they use this shot over and over again. Yeah, you're right. So she's agreed to do this thing in a film So, once. So she says, I'll take my top off once. And they've gone, right, we'll do it. I watched uh, the Blu-ray and the director um, is basically going, oh, I just, I can't remember. I thought, I think I put it in three times in the credits. And then, uh, and then when I sent it over, I was kind of like, I wasn't really overseeing that part of it. And then they ended up putting it in it 21 times. I was like, I don't believe you. He also does the third one that I watched. Um, marsupials, the marsupials. Yeah, and that one is, is similar. It's got a very similar... Um, the same director, same director, and it's because he's Australian, Philip, and I think I think Philippe Mora. That's right, and he he did the third one, which I also watched, um, and it's very similar. But it's all felt like it, they've basically moved it all to Australia. Like he's gone, it's now an Australian movie essentially, and they've basically taken it and gone, okay, I'm going to do a third one. It's now completely removed anything that it isn't that it's, it's a Hollywood movie or anything. It's now just an Australian movie that I'll direct. But yeah. the tone of it's very similar it to was, the second one. It was filmed in Czechoslovakia. And that's why it kind of like doesn't feel British and it doesn't feel American. Yeah. It's kind of like it's filmed in Czechoslovakia. So they would have got Jimmy Nail in from England and kind of brought him over to somewhere else in Europe. But like, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, I just thought. And there's a bit when like uh, purple lightning shoots out of her hands or something mm. like that. She gets like that ready brick glow around her. And, and and like so it's like anim- there's this animated force field that co- and it comes out of nowhere like like three quarters of the way into the film 
she suddenly has all these magical powers that and and it's kind of like well where did that come from it's and i loved it i loved it it was brilliant it was just exactly my kind of thing but how does that relate to the cat and the canary comedy horrors brilliant <laughs> um uh, have you said everything that you wanted to say about the cat? Yes, canary? I have. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'd recommend it to anyone. I'd recommend the Howling too. I think you'd like the Cat Canary. Actually, I think you'd enjoy. Yeah, it. I, th- I think I've, I've, I've definitely seen the the remake, and mm-hmm. it was uh, old, the old Dark House that I saw recently, which has also got a remake, which I've bought, and I'm going to watch that. So yeah. Um, what's the other? Are you into Bob Hope? Not particularly. Like, well, I didn't. You know, it, I've not really given him much thought. But when you watch these, it's like actually, he's really good. And I think I, I think I'm now into Bob Hope off the back of uh, um, how much I enjoyed the Cat and Canary. Did Bob Hope do a film where he was a cowboy dentist, or was that Bob Monkhouse? Bob Monkhouse definitely did a film called Dentist on the Job, which he plays a dentist. Yeah, I think I think that's a Wild West one. Uh, quite possibly, yeah. Mm. I mean, I haven't seen. There's all those Road to Morocco ones, isn't there? Where it's Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. Yeah, they're probably really good. Yeah. But like road two movies, I don't know what Bob Hope was like politically. You know? No, I don't know. But I know that he didn't like Bill, Bing Crosby. Okay, they did like like Bing Crosby was such a cunt that even Bob Hope went like, "I'm not, I, I'm not, I, I'm just, I'm just a, a a friend for cash." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I've made the movies with him, but I don't, don't, yeah, I don't know, I don't know much about Bob Hope. I don't know if he's a controversial figure particularly, but I thought he was. But I was really struck by how funny he was and how good he was in these films. Yeah, like oh, a, no, oh, he's great. Actually. I think he's really great. I can't remember really what I've seen him in, but like, um, but I, I think he's he's really good. He's obviously, um, he was obviously a world famous comedian, yeah. and I think he probably was in his later years right wing and played a lot of golf. Yeah, which is what happens to everyone. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there you go, guys. Um, it's time for some. Appreciation, appreciation mail. mail. I forgot what, what it was called then. Appreciation mail. Oh, thank you, JC3000. You've got all the appreciation mail. Uh, that's great. Where's uh, Where's Brian? I'm right here, mate. I'm right here, standing here at the ready, getting ready to read out your appreciation. And your sack is bulging this week. We got three pieces of appreciation. Man. How did you manage to carry all those letters? Well, you did very well, Brian. <laughs> Thank you very much. I have to keep fit with all the touring I'm doing. Okay. Uh, hi, Nick and Nathaniel Metcalf. Just found out you're back. This is fantastic. Well, wait till you hear it. Please consume the original Planet of the Apes, and if you can manage to get through them, as many other sequels as you can. My favourite of the sequels is that classic entry of any sci-fi franchise, the Let's Set It on Earth in the Present Day for Budgetary Reasons. Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Cheers, Mark. Thanks, Mark. 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 This is assuming, Mark. Mark, this is absolutely bang on the original planet of the apes franchise is my i love i absolutely love it um and escape from planet of the apes uh goes right in line with uh my love for um fucking star trek 4 and <laughs> what's the other one uh no it's just star trek 4 star trek 4 and escape from planet of the apes they both come back in time um do they land in San Francisco both times? Is Escape from yeah, Planet I think it the, is. is Escape from Planet Apes set in San Francisco? Oh, it certainly it's certainly it's, within, it starts. Yeah, they, there's a point where they probably go to Washington. I think. 
Um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that's assuming we haven't seen... It's almost written from the perspective of people that haven't seen The Planet of the Apes. I love Planet of the Apes, particularly the third one, I think is... I mean, actually, The Planet of the Apes is the best one. It's brilliant. It's Planet, an absolute classic. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that Escape from Planet of the Apes is, my, is definitely my favourite. Planet of the Apes It was a film that seemed to be uh, perpetually on TV when I was like a child, between the ages of zero and maybe five. And uh, it's the sort of film that you would be being dragged to your parents' friend's house on a Sunday lunch and it would be on the TV and then you'd be dragged away and then um, and then you'd get to their friend's house and it would be on their TV as well and then you'd see it, but you'd miss chunks because you were in transit. And, um, uh, and I just remember for a long period of time, same with Jaws, I suppose, every time I saw anything set in the ocean... Or anything I ever, every time I saw anything set in the desert, I would watch it until I would work out whether it was Jaws or Planet of the Apes. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and so there were all these desert films set in the desert, and I would be like, Is this Planet of the Apes? Is this Planet? And it wasn't Planet of the Apes. And so I found the bit when um, uh, they found the pilot and he was uh, like a stuffed yeah. sort of, and he was blinded and stuff. I found that really uh, scary. Um, I love I love Planet of the Apes. Like like that first original Charlton Heston movie is like traumatic and harrowing and um, and as a kid it really stuck with me. I thought the Apes were incredible. I really I mean I've had a lifelong love of Roddy McDowell. I think he's brilliant. I've got a huge framed Planet of the Apes poster next to my bed, and then on top of that I've got another framed picture of uh, of Doctor Zayas uh, in, in in my room, and then next to my toilet. Which is a joy, a Jaws themed toilet. So I think that the um, I, I don't think there's going. I don't think there's much more life left for this particular picture. But next to my toilet roll holder, I've got an Escape from Planet of the Apes poster, and it's a poster of uh, it's like a family portrait of uh, uh, Cornelius Zira and uh, is it Caesar? Caesar. Yeah, <laughs> that's awful that we know that, right? And. Um, <laughs> It's is it uh, who's 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 zero? Is it Kim Novak? Yeah, but I don't think he, she's in the third one. I think I think she, I, I don't know. I think she gets recast. I think well, Roddy McDowell isn't in the second one, and he comes back for the right. third one, and then he and then it's his franchise after that. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, so, but, 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 so, so what? Come, come along, Zero, don't dawdle. Come along, run along, Zero, don't dawdle. Does that a lot? Because they always got they peas did, yeah. stuck in their masks, didn't they? Um, the only good, the only thing about the the Tim Burton movie that really was an improvement was the makeup. Rick yes. Baker's makeup effects in the in the remake. Were, when I saw Tim Roth as whatever what's his name, Colonel Hades or something like, that, something like that, something on the nose. And whenever when I saw his chimpanzee makeup, I was like, I oh, just too. couldn't believe it. I saw a photo of it, and and I was like. You couldn't see Tim Roth in that, and it was just like, oh my god, that is. That's also in the trailer. He does that line that's not in the film, which is where he says, "Bring me the spaceman." Oh, it's not in the film. I thought what I thought what they were going to do anyway. uh, But um, but but I'll get back to that. But like, so there's this picture. It's a family portrait, and it's got like this oval gold framed um, uh, picture picture frame on the thing and then to match it i've got this you know rectangular ornate gold framed uh frame that it's in it's um it's like a uh what is it it's like a, a five by seven 
frame, uh, inch frame. So it's kind of like it's a small picture, but I've got it in my bathroom. I love that. I love that film so much. Um, oh, I do. I absolutely love Escape from Planet. I thought when they did uh, the remake of Planet of the Apes, the mm-hmm. Tim Burton remake, it was like, what is Tim Burton gonna bring to Planet of the Apes? Because it feels like um, the wrong fit. I don't think Tim Burton is the guy to do the science fiction. It's it's like it's what would he have got that off of? Like Mars Attacks? Like oh, we'll get this guy to do planet. Like he's totally wrong for it, and his aesthetic doesn't fit with it. It's like it's all wrong. Why have you done it? He's not a great. He's a visual storyteller, but he's not a great kind of like narrative storyteller. So I don't know. So what I thought his impacts of it was going to be was I thought it was going to be a fairy tale told from the point of view of the slaves on the planet of the apes, which are the humans. And I thought it was going to be about the time a man fell from outer space and came and saved them. And it was going to be like um, uh, an allegory for Jesus. Yeah, but uh, I thought it was going to be done like, and I think even one of the trailers was like maybe Helena Bonham Carter talking about a spaceman falling from the sky and then coming and and, and saving him, and it was like, uh, which is weird because she's a chimpanzee in it, but um, but it's like uh, that's what I thought the take was going to be. It wasn't going to be like we're t- we're seeing it from Mark Wahlberg. I mean, what like it was just badly. The only thing that really worked was the makeup and i really like those designs of the where that was a kind of almost like again like uh samurai looking the armor was kind of like good the helmets were kind yeah. of weird the way that they ran along the ground was sort of interesting but i think where it didn't i mean i went to see it and i really really enjoyed it and i was saying to people i thought it was great what are you talking about and then i watched it again it was on the second viewing i went oh no this doesn't work but also i it's it i think the ending there was there was once upon a time I made that ending work in my head. Mm. I managed to sort of like do all of like the kind of rolling my sleeves up and trying to work out how that ending would have come about and how it worked. But um, that has been lost to the sands of time and now it's just <laughs> a nonsense ending that you've kind of like gone, this only really makes sense if you were going to m- make a bunch of sequels to support it and that's what they were going to do. And also it feels like they're just trying to come up with a twist ending that matches the... And you can't. You can't. Um, Have you ever read the book? Yeah. The book's great. Yeah, Monkey Planet by oh, Pierre yeah, Boulle. Yeah. Um, Who also did the book. I think it's the same... Is it the same writers that did Vertigo? Is that right? No. Is that right? Maybe um, it is. I've got the book somewhere. Maybe it's in here. No, it's, it's the in, book is the great. I think. The, book, the book is brilliant. The book is... Oh, the book is And the book great. isn't really... You, so, you kind of couldn't really... The book also has a great twist that doesn't work visually. Um, I think it, I thought when I saw when I saw the Tim Burton film, I thought that they were yeah. going to do that twist because it starts. You go, oh, they're going to do it like the book, but they don't. But I definitely think that it's influenced by the book. I thought I thought I think the book is great. It's a really good sort of like adventure movie, um, uh, adventure book. But um, but the, that original film is great. Uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. That's the sequel. Yes. Now that's got what's his name? Chamberlain. No, no, he is called. Gosh, he's a guy from uh, Cat O' Nine Tails, isn't yeah, he? Cat O'Nine James Tales. Francini, James Franciscus, James Franciscus. Yeah, right. Okay, so he's sort of like a Charlton Heston knockoff. They uh, Charlton Heston said, "I don't want to come back for the sequel," and then they said, "Please," and he went, "Only if you kill me." And they went, "Like, yeah, we will." But 
what we're going to do is we're going to have one scene of you at the beginning and then James Franciscus is going to take over as the hero for the rest of the film and then you're going to have one scene at the end and so we're going to get our money's worth out of you. And so, like, Charlton Heston sort of bookends it. You've got all of, like, the mutants that are underneath the surface of the planet. The for a lot, of, a lot of that film feels like a remake, doesn't it? Just with recast, with Jay- yeah. Yeah, may- mm, well, maybe a little bit, but then I also think that it does bring a lot to the table mm-hmm. all by itself. Um, I, so I enjoy that. The only thing I don't really like about it, well, I don't like it as much as the first one, and it's not as good as the third one. And then once you got to the third one, why would you go back and watch the second one? So you need to plow on, and then so I think number four. I think number three is good. It's also got Ricardo Montalban in it, who is obviously everyone's favourite star of uh, Naked Gun uh, <laughs> from the Files of Police Squad, and obviously Khan, and obviously uh, the thing that we all remember him from is Spy Kids 3D. Uh, which I... Do you know what? Ricardo Montalban had a really nice uh, cameo in Spy Kids 3D. It's not a very good film, but um, but by that point, he was sort of wheelchair-bound, and uh, Robert Rodriguez put him in Spy Kids 3D, and they were doing loads of CGI stuff for it, and uh, he put him in, like a, a, like, a CGI robot suit and gave him kind of, like... He he made him walk on screen again, you know, in like in like one of his final screen roles. I thought that was kind of like a nice thing that he did. Um, but R- Ricardo Montalban, like with Ricardo Montalban's permission, he didn't just sort of like <laughs> marionette him around the screen like like they do now with like dead celebrities. Yeah. But um, but um, <clears throat> but yeah. So Escape from Planet of the Apes, I think, is just. Brilliant. I love Again, it. And plays it like a comedy. It feels completely different. It's, well, like, it plays it like a comedy until the end when it just goes really dark. It gets re- well, it, it plays it until about the two thirds mark. Mm. And then it becomes a very tense thriller. And then it's got like this horrible ending. And it's But it sets up Planet of the Apes perfectly. Mm. It's like it's in a perpetual loop. Yes. And it's fantastic. And I love it. And. Um, yeah, I just think, and and that's obviously the fish out of water thing. That's obviously what I love about Star Trek Four as well. It's kind of like, you, you know, you couldn't have Star Trek Four without all the other Star Treks. But having said that, um, it's nice to see this film in isolation with mm-hmm. the knowledge that you've got of all those characters that mm-hmm. exist outside of the story. Planet Escape from Planet Apes, I think, is just absolutely fucking top notch. The first Planet Apes has a great sequence at the start that introduces the apes. Where you just see the moving reeds, yes, and as they're approaching, you get the music, and you get, and it cuts to uh, a reveal. You don't see what's coming. Something's coming. Something's coming. And there's a big reveal of an ape on horseback, and you get that kind of sort of yeah. sound effect. It cuts to an ape on horseback. There's a kind of crash zoom yeah. of an ape on horseback, yeah. and I always think, I mean, who going to see this film wasn't expecting an ape? <laughs> Yeah, and why have you put the Statue of Liberty on the poster? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I don't think it it's was. It's a surprise. I don't it's a th- surprise. I don't think the Statue of Liberty was on the poster for the original, the original. release. But I think, you know, I, I, yeah, they're, they're, those, the, the, the third movies. one is my favourite. The fourth one is... The um, circus one, also with Rico- no, Ricardo Montalban. The, the circus one... Oh, isn't I thought the circus. Oh no, no, you're oh, right. No. I think that is the ending of the I th- third. Isn't I it? think he gets abandoned with Ricardo Montalban um, at the circus, and then maybe the beginning of. So, what's the next one? The next one is um, uh, Battle for or Conquest? Conquest is Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Um, is is where it's like a futuristic uh, place where all of the apes are becoming. Um, 
domesticated. Domesticated. Because the dogs and cats are dying. There's a that disease right? that kills off dogs and cats. So people kind of like start using and domesticating apes, and then they all get kind of like locked up in like penitentiaries and stuff. Uh, and they were using lots of kind of like riot footage of the time to kind of like show it. Um, and then uh, and then Battle for the Planet. They like the budget gets cut further mm. and further as you go. I still it's it's still Roddy Mc, Roddy McDowell plays Cornelius um, in the first and the third films, not the second. And then in uh, the fourth and the fifth films, he plays Caesar, his son. And um, and I, there's lots of good stuff in uh, Conquest. And then Battle for the Planet of the Apes is the one that looks really low budget. But I still think there's some okay stuff in there, and it ends quite nicely. But um, but those first three are in like a perpetual loop yeah. with each other, and they kind of work. And I then, think you assume they all are, right? By the end, it's just kind of it, it, you're you're then just watching the origin of. The you're watching planet. it just sort of like play out, and I did. Re- I really, I really did. I really did like that. I liked the um, uh, John Lithgow. Yeah. Uh, and then and then I found so kind of like me. I kind of so me. I then I found like the the rest of that sort of franchise. I don't think I even saw the last one, um, but I I found the middle one like a bit like uh, a bit. Mm, uh, it took itself incredibly seriously. I did. I've liked all these Planet of the Apes movies. I thought they were all really good. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I just it, it, maybe it wasn't my franchise, but I don't mind that. I don't mind that it exists. I'm not angry that they did it. Um, it's just kind of like that. It, and it didn't rub me the wrong way. I just watched it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very grey film. Mm. And I think the Planet of the Apes films, to me, are very bright. You know, you've got, like, the desert and the sun and the the green of uh, the, the original mm. and the second one. And then uh, the third one is very vibrant and it's 1970s modern-day uh, Engl- uh, modern England, modern-day Earth. And uh, and then the fourth one, it's kind of like they've got these bright orange costumes in penitentiary and stuff like that. And I and I like the I like the silliness of it. And I guess they took it in a more serious way and they've made it into something different. And and that's great. Everything in the mid two thousands had to be like this is a very serious take. This is what it would be like if there was really? no magic in Batman. And you go like, brilliant, well done, that's great. <laughs> now can we have magic back, please? Do you know what I mean? It's like. Um, so yeah, so it's not like my take on it, but I, I but I did yeah. like them. The Planet of the Apes franchise, I think, is brilliant. Yeah. I think the first one has that real epic; it's massive in scale and feels it. I think that's probably where the Tim Burton one failed in that its Tim Burtonness means again that it's very studio bound and that everything feels like sets and everything feels very closed off in a way that. The, the original is so kind of vast. And, and I epic. couldn't really tell you what the story is. And you know what the story is, but you're kind of like squinting at the story through a lot of other stuff, <laughs> and a lot of other waffle and noise that's sort of like surrounding it. Whereas the original is kind of like uh, really good. And also like the third film, by that point, you know, um, the budget is being cut. Mm. And so they've done, a, they found a really good economical way of doing it and going, well, we've only got two two monkeys. Oh, no, they've got three, haven't but they? Two monkeys, we haven't got, we one, haven't, and we haven't got all those sort one of, of costumes. One of, them, or... one of them dies in the yes. captivity. But Spoiler! They've got like, but they've got like three ape costumes, and it's like, that's all we have to deal with mm. for this one, so it's fine. Um, so, well, that was a very good question. Uh, what else have we got there, Brian? Well, okay, so the next one up is yes. The washing up gag in Crime Wave is brilliant. 
as is the parade of protection sequence. I don't remember that. Oh, great. Well, somebody's listened and written in. Yes, the washing up gang and crying wave is brilliant. As is, as is the parade of protection sequence. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Christopher. No problem. Well, hey, good to see you, Chris. Yes, the Hudsucker Proxy is wonderful. It's a wonderful, beautiful, hilarious film. Sam Raimi is a dancing dingus guy in the hula hoop montage. I think he also directed that part as well. All the best, Lucy. All Lucy. the best, Lucy. All the best, Lucy. All the best, Lucy. All the best, Lucy. Lucy. All the best, Lucy. Get ready. All the best, Lucy. Thanks, okay. thanks Brian. Thanks, th- Lucy. Th- thanks, Lucy. You had a bit of difficulty saying Lucy at the end of there, didn't you, Brian? <laughs> yeah, I certainly did. It doesn't go much much, I tell you that. And so the final, the final piece of appreciation meal for the John Carpenter Appreciation Society this week is on last week's show... Episode 6, Starman. Nat mentions an experience while leaving a showing of... Well... 51st state when he overheard someone saying that it was the I thought it was brackets there Chris but it's not it's just uh, quote marks when he overheard someone saying that it was the best film they had ever seen reminded me of a similar experience Uh, that that was all that made no sense that whole sentence that I just said on last week's show Episode 6, Starman. Nat mentioned an experience while leaving a show in of 51st State when he overheard someone saying it was the best film they had ever seen. Reminded me of a similar experience. In 2004, I went to the cinema to see the film Van Helsing, where Hugh Jackman plays the titular monster hunter. Said in the early 1800s, Helsing works for the Vatican. Who knows? Vampires and werewolves. Oh, no, hang on. (laughs) Helsing works for the Vatican. Who knows? Vampires and werewolves exist and dispatches their agent with high-tech steampunk weapons. But while leaving screen two... (laughs) Fucking hell. But while leaving the screen, two student types, proto-hipsters, were behind me. One said to the other, Well... That was far-fetched. <laughs> I've massacred your story there, Sean, but I fucking enjoyed I enjoyed the journey. What the fuck? I wanted to... Well, that was far-fetched. I wanted to grab him and inform him that if, it, if that's his problem, just give up watching movies. I'm aware the film is flawed, but to dismiss a film of that sort of... I'm aware that the film is flawed, but to dismiss a film of that sort based on its believability is just insane. Re-enjoying the podcast. Thanks, Sean J. Skinner. Thanks for your thanks for thanks for your email there, Sean. You really struggled there, Brian. I'm having a bad day. 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 Ah, God, I'll I'll let myself out. Should I use the ladder or the rope ladder? And you know what? I always use the ladder. I think this week I'm going to treat myself, Nick. I'm going to go the way that you normally go down, and I'm going to use this rope ladder. I've never used it before. And just get me hands around. <laughs> oh, my God. What's that awful pong? Oh, no. Oh, my oh, God. It's slippery. <laughs> Brian! I don't mean that. I'm just down there. I'm the foot of the tree. Oh, my oh, God. God. Brian's just like... It was all of the shit all over... <laughs> the all over the knotted rope, you know. It's been used at another swingers party, and you know what they do. That is, they just push each knot in at a time. 
And you can look at that rope. This is a tall tree. It's like a fifth. <laughs> it's like fifteen foot of rope with knots in it. And they push each rope in yeah. at a time up the anus. Mm-hmm. And then they say, Are "You ready?" And they say, three, two, one, one. I'm going to pull it." And then the person braces themselves. Yeah. And then they just let them pull all fifty. But you know what they do? They pull it on two. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. Imagine. <laughs> Imagine the rope burn. My God. Anyway, sorry about that, Brian. You, you probably um, get, go go in and ask my mum if you can use the sink and wash your hands. <laughs> no, he couldn't hear. Anyway, okay, so it's time for this week's <laughs> feature presentation. Feature presentation. Um, right, so this week we're going to be looking at the uh, at the film. Uh, Blood Blood. on Satan's Claw. Um, It was directed by the film director Piers Haggard, uh, who who passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And and Blood on Satan's Claw is... well, you talk about it really. It's a folk. It's a folk horror film, yeah. and it's and it's largely when they when it when it's when it's when it's used when it's talked about in kind of like context. It's basically uh, one of the three kind of big kind of cornerstones of folk horror. You have the Wicker Man. You have. Uh, uh, Witch Witch Finder General General or the Conqueror Worm uh, (laughs) uh, as it was called in the US and you also have uh, Blood on Satan's Claw Um, now you used to run a uh, Folk Horror Cinema Club which was called the Black Decagon Black Decagon basically a bit like JCS Black Decagon presents Folk Horror Cinema Club yeah I think it's one of those things Folk Horror which seems to have loads of um, people seem to try and apply different um, different ideas of what is and isn't folk horror. I think it's whatever that thing feels like. I think now uh, people have lots of ownership over what it is and what it isn't. I think those films are really the ones that seem to best illustrate what it seems to be. Um, Blood and Satan's Claw is one where it has, again, a sort of pre... It's in the past, but unlike... It's made by Tygon. And unlike things like the Hammers that were often like Victorian, these are kind of set in the sort of era of the Civil War. What did Tygon? What did Tygon also made Witchfinder General? So they these were well the well the the guy that plays the judge in uh in yes in, in Blood and Saints Claw is also in Witchfinder yeah, General. Yeah, he's isn't he? he's Cromwell in um, that's right that's in right. Uh, Witchfinder General, um, and it does feel like. It, Blood and Saints Claw, I think, especially is probably. I I love The Wicker Man, but it's certainly I much prefer Blood and Saints Claw to Witchfinder General. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, that's that's a good way of looking at it. I find Witchfinder General a fucking slog to get through, and oh, like, really? I don't think it's nearly as um, as fun as. Um, and not that all films have to be fun. But like, I don't think it's nearly as fun as kind of like I was led to believe it was. I think Vin- I I, th- I find the the stories about Vincent Price on set and the way he was treated by the director kind of like really interesting. They didn't get on, and um, and I think they did by the end. Maybe by I the think end. they basically had to build up a, a level of respect with each other. But the, but but the, but who who directed which funder? Michael Reeves. Michael then. Reeves. Right. Michael Reeves. Michael um, Reeves uh, was uh, a sort of really young director. He died very young straight after. Right. Um, well, he was a real piece of shit to uh, Vincent Price, right? Sort of. Well, he told Vincent Price he was an overacting ham and he didn't want him in this film. 
And then, just to prove him wrong, Vincent Price gave in the performance of a lifetime. Well, the, the story that, that's the funny one is the one where apparently, um, uh, when when he was saying, "Can you can you kind of calm it down a bit? Be less big, Vincent." And he said, um, "How many films have you made? I've made over two hundred. <laughs> and Michael Reeves said, uh, two good ones." Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is good. Uh, that is so, good. But I think after I that, mean, that was what turned the corner because I think Vincent Price found that funny. Yeah. And it was a bit like, well, Vincent, actually, you're. Vincent Price knows how many shit films yeah. he's made. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I love Vincent Price, uh, but yeah, that is funny. That yeah. is funny. But yeah, so Rich Fighter General is kind of like, for, for me, it's kind of like, yeah. Um, What's good about it is how nasty it is, I think. It's a really nasty yeah, film. Yeah, it is a really nasty Do you know what? There's something about the there's uh, you're a hammer guy and i am a universal guy and hammer there's something about the aesthetic of that bright red poster paint blood mm-hmm. that i just find gross i think it's gro- it, it's not because it's like blood i'm just re- imagining like them in the woods or in like a non-heated barn and they're pouring poster paint in someone's mouth, and they've got to like, and they've got to lie there, and they're they've it's so cold that they've lost the feeling in their fingers, and they're just thinking, oh, how many more takes do we have to do? <laughs> and I'm just I imagine like how miserable the whole, it, like the <laughs> like the blood that they use in Hammer movies just makes me think of the misery of uh, the process of making. <laughs> did you ever see the sequel to Dungeon Siege? Um, no. There was the there was that uh, that Uwe Boll movie Dungeon Siege. I've never seen it. Starring Jason Statham as a farmer called anyone? No farmer. <laughs> um, and in the sequel, the the lead character is Dolph Lundgren, and they're filming in like Bulgaria, and there's like no glass in any of the windows, and there's just every single scene is Dolph Lundgren like with his shoulders all hunched up. And he's basically just sort of like, he just looks freezing cold in every single shot. <laughs> and it just looks like absolutely miserable. And that's what Hammer Horror movies are like. They're just like, they just look like they were just, it was, everyone was cold and uncomfortable and d- with dirt all over them. And then they've had to pour poster paint all over them. So Witchfinder General does that kind of thing for me. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think Hammer have their own thing. I think when the, when Hammer started in the 50s. Was Witchfinder General Hammer? No, that's also That's Tygon. what you've just said. That's yeah. what you've just said. So, so Hammer were so popular and they sort of made, they were exported into the States and those films are massive. The, certainly the original Hammer, Frankenstein and Dracula well, it were was massive like, hits. It was, it was basically, they're like going, well, these are all the universal movies, but, um, but they're in colour and yeah. we've got like tits and blood. And you go, <laughs> brilliant. And then they were big hits. They were remaking all the universal yeah. movies, yeah. Um, and and to be fair, I, there are some Hammer films that I really love, and I, I love the Oliver Reed werewolf movie. Yes, um, that is really that is fucking incredible. That's maybe the second best werewolf movie. Okay, it's good. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not the second best, is it? You're forgetting. I'm forgetting the uh, 2010 remake of the Wolfman. The Wolfman, starring uh, Antoine Hopkins. <laughs> I love it. It's a great film. I really love the I remake like of The Wolfman. I think it's brilliant. I do. I really enjoyed it. And the original. The original's brilliant with Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. And and Tygon, like all of the people that did sort of hammer rip-off, so, so again, it's almost like if you were in Britain at the time, 
that's what was making money. You could make money off horror films. So everyone was trying to do it. And they're all essentially trying to copy them, but also make themselves slightly different. So you had Amicus that sort of had a lot of the same cast, but were all modern set and would often be like those um, portmanteau, different stories. Blood and Satan's Claw actually started off as a portmanteau. So what's a portmanteau? So it's when you have various, like smaller stories within that, short stories within a movie. Right. Okay. Oh, right. So short stories in the okay. like tales from the crypts they did for but like, Amicus, but like, and they were modern set. But that's like an anthology, right? An that's, anthology, exactly. Yeah. But that's what a portmanteau. Exactly. Is. Same thing. But is it it's, that? That is the same thing. Yeah. It's not like an anthology has a wraparound story, and then a portmanteau is just sort of like stories oh, within it. It might be. Oh right. Okay. Um, but yeah, so like, yeah, are these sort I don't, of anthology I don't think that, I, I don't, I'm not saying that from a point, I'm just like saying there must no, be. No, I don't know. There must, there must be a definition. Be a yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, Blood and Saints Claw started as that. It started, it was written to be an anthology. And when you watch the film, there's so many little short stories with these characters that don't yeah. really interact with each other. Well, that's, that's exactly what I was, it's almost like a slasher movie where like every so often, well, every, there's like a, there's a through line with some characters that are in it throughout yeah. the entire film. But every, you know, every 20 minutes or so, they'll focus on a different set of characters where something happens. And, uh, yeah, but, like, so just explain a little bit more, like, what folk horror is so that people know, because I feel like... So folk horror is sort of old, oldie, worldie, oldie, oldie English suggests it's something... English, and because, I think that is that is what British folk horror is. Because it's Something... not necessarily though, because Wicker Man was set in present day, mm-hmm. but it's about old gods. It's yeah. about people that follow these old gods, and it seems to be either witchcraft but, but, or satanic. But or... the story for Witchfinder General that is set during the like the the, the, the uh, Oliver Cromwell Roundheads versus Cavaliers uh, that period. That is time. A, a set at the time of the Witchfinders, and that's that's kind of about the same time period as Blood on Satan's Claw. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, the Wicker Man is set um, in like the late sixties. It's set in seventy three. It's meant seventy three when it was made. Yeah, uh, same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? And um, and so the Wicker Man is set in seventy three, and it's about a policeman that goes to an isolated island. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is the island? Uh, off Scotland, off Scotland, and uh, and uh, Christopher Lee is sort of this charming uh, man on this island. Um, he's Lord Summersale. Yeah, so he sort of runs. He's the old kind of laird who runs the whole of it. And um, he's inherited it from his father. And uh, and the policeman is looking for a missing person, and he keeps get, he gets the run around until uh, he, you know, until the ending. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, the the and they are the three big the three big yeah. ones, and and also the it's, thing almost, with, it's, it's like it's like basically what was that midsummer? It's like a harvest festival with uh, it's yeah, it's old religion, sort of pre-Christian religion, pagan, pagan, which is kind of what witches are. Although witch fan in general, even though it's included, it isn't supernatural. It's mm. all about how well, none what, of this is real. Well, that's none what's interesting about it is that is that neither is the Wicker Man really particularly super. Is the no. Wicker Man supernatural? No. So so basically, um, the Wicker Man and Witch Finder General are about like real uh, evil. Yeah. The evil in man or the evil in people and. Um, and uh, Witchfinder General is kind of like mm. about uh, Vincent Price, who's the Witchfinder General, who's basically going around 
using the these witch trials as a way of kind of like exploiting people for his own getting money sexual yeah. sexual desires and money and lust and all this other stuff so that's what and he's bending the law yeah. to his own thing and he's this horrible wicked man that's going around destroying people's Rich lives Rich Van was also really a western so it's basically Michael Reeves trying to make a western with British ideas that's so it's brilliant. like when were that's like Kurosawa yeah. and the West exactly he's that's trying like, to do uh, that well, do you know what I was thinking yes right so he's basically gone when would we like that and it's like oh a civil, civil war era we're all on horseback and it's basically a revenge story right so um so and then it's and then it's about this kind of how revenge can't make anything better. Mm-hmm. So he will just go to the ends of the earth to essentially kill Matthew Hopkins after Matthew Hopkins kills his wife. And um and the wicker man is is essentially again it's about evil but it's about not these people think they're right. That's why I think's really great about it. These people aren't they're not really the baddies. They're more likable. Lord Summersile is more likable than Edward Woodward is. <laughs> Who's Edward Woodward? Uh, in in the Wicker Man, he's the policeman. No. Yeah. No, it's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I got it wrong. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> Edward Woodward, the the greatest name for any actor. Yeah. <laughs> Edward Woodward. So he's pious and he's religious, and but he's judging everyone by the way they live their life, which for most of the film. None of them does anything wrong, and he's not a particularly kind it's of like likeable. he's not he's not a likable hero, is no. he? He's very sort of like straight laced and like difficult to sort of root for. The people in Summerisle are having a great time. I, I, t- I tell you what, the, the 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 finale for the Wicker Man is absolutely kind of like uh, it's one of the most iconic endings, and it does a lot of the promotional work for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. What I Christopher Lee did all these songs in it as well, right? Song, I mean, it's basically a musical. Right. When you think of it that way, there's so many songs in it that it plays like a musical. And again, the more I, the more you watch it, it's basically a comedy as well. It's funny. Right. So it's the ending I is so bleak, in, but it's it's funny. It's I haven't really... seen it in such a long time, and I, I remember either the last time I saw it. I don't think it was the last time I saw it, but I did watch the Nicolas Cage one recently. I think we went to watch it because it was like, oh, this is meant to be. Well, I think. My girlfriend wanted to watch a really bad film, and I was just like, "Well, how about the Wicked?" Well, we watched it, and it wasn't bad. It was just boring, and then there's some weird bits in it, like Nicolas Cage mm. bits. But the, it, it's he's been memed to death now, and it's just like when you watch where the memes come from, you go, "Well, in context, it doesn't really stand out that much." But um, but the last time, or one of the last times I saw the Wicked Man was uh, uh, I was watching it on a laptop in bed, and I fell asleep, and I woke up to the blood-curdling screams <laughs> of Edward Woodward being burnt alive. Uh, sorry, spoiler. Spoiler! And, um, yeah, just one of the most... Like, it goes on for ages. And just It's just absolutely blood-curdling, you know? Mm. Um so yeah, so those 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 are those, those are, are the three. those are the big fa- the two big famous ones I are think... Wicker Man and Witchfinder General, and then bringing up the rear has always been Blood on Satan's Claw. But Blood, Blood on Claw Satan's is... Claw is my favourite of the three. Yeah, and I think it, I think it, I do love the Wicker Man. So I don't know if I could go that, that far. Hog. 
and I think the definition of folk horror is so. I think people try and really try and define it now, well, and they have. But it's it's silly. It doesn't. It's just some films feel like they are, and some. Fi- it's just it's it's more like when people try to intellectualize it and to create a kind of academic definition. You go, no, it isn't really. But some films are, and some films aren't. Well, Kill List was a absolutely. Folk I would film. say absolutely is. And Kill List seems to be kind of like. Uh, like almost a hmm, like a retelling of the Wicker Man in yeah. a way. It's and for kind most of, like of the film, it's a gangster film yeah. in the same way that you know. Yeah, but you know that he's involved in yes. something that is kind of like but beyond him. Yeah, and that that's why it feels like the yeah. Wicker Man because there's a there's a guy in it that's out of his depth. Yeah, and you and he's being led a, a merry dance. Isn't and he? similarly, you've got um, the other Ben Wheatley film, Field in England, which is set in that same Civil War period. Yes, which has horror elements, and you'd think, yeah, that is. I when we did the Folk Horror Cinema Club, I included things like um, The Devil Rides Out, which is a Hammer film about summoning the devil. And that to me, even though it's not set in this kind of um, uh, country uh, um, sort of setting with that kind of English landscape that all these other people have, all these other films have, it does... It feels like there's something in the DNA of that, which is also in The Wicker Man. It's Christopher Lee again, and it's all about the Beltane sort of May Day festival and how that is somehow uh, related to Satanism and devil worship. Right. And here, here's some here's some more, right? Uh, the Witch? Yeah, I think, I think so. Midsummer, Midsummer yeah. Uh, the Ritual? I've not seen that. Not seen it. Oh, I have. I have seen The Ritual. Yep. Um, I don't think it is though. Uh, the Wicker Man, um, Children of the Corn, uh, the new film Men. Yeah, maybe Blair Witch Project. Yeah, I'd say Blair Witches. Hereditary. Yeah, I can see that. Um, have you ever seen V or Vi? Yeah, V. That's a good one. That's so, yeah, brilliant. Witch, witchcraft. That's fucking yeah. incredible. That film. I watched it in lockdown. That was great. That's like visually just spectacular. Very surreal. Um, Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. Did you see Black Death with Sean Bean? No, I haven't seen that. That's like bleak. Um, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, I can see that. Lair of the White Worm. Yeah. I'm not going to go on for much longer. Pet Cemetery. No. Company of Wolves. Yeah, I'd say Company of Wolves is... Sure. Right. So that's the sort of thing. Oni Barbar, apparently. Yeah. I mean that that works. I think. I think that does work. Yeah, but Oni Barbar could also be um, single white female. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like like Oni Barbar and single white female. Like that's what I was thinking of when I watched Oni Barbar. Was like this is a very contemporary kind of story. Um, um, I think Blood and Satan's Claw works because I think that's the one that feels like it's about proper evil. Well, Blood and Satan's Claw is different from the others because it is um, supernatural. Supernatural. It's also much more, it's about, for the majority, it's about poor people. You have this sort of, you have a few storylines going in it that were, like I said, that had that kind of um, portmanteau. Uh, storyline that when Piers Haggard came into it he kind of rewrote it with the writer to make it let's make it a narrative rather than try and make right. it um, all these different disparate stories um, and it's about this idea it starts off where 
there's someone plowing in a field and they uncover a skull which is a sort of very odd looking skull it's not a human skull there's a it's still it's still obviously been there hundreds of years it still has its own eye mm. left and there's, in a, it. there's, there's a, a worm, worm crawling over the eye which is one of those things so as soon as you see it it has that sort of disgust it makes you go like oh yeah, that's horrible makes something horrible like, makes me feel like i'm watching a hammer movie <laughs> I think, oh, how cold it must have been on that side. The, and that's the worm partly on the it. When eye, you see the worm on the eye is gross. Everything about it is wrong. Mm. It feels there's something wrong about this whole thing. And then it's about that is meant to be the devil's skull. And this skull starts trying to use its own influence, which is all done in the background, to sort of rebuild itself into a sort of humanoid shape. Right. And it does that by influencing all the children in this small English village to essentially try and uh, infect them. And it infects them with uh, the devil's skin, which is when all these children start growing hair. Yeah. Patches well, of hair. Well, they grow patches of hair, and it's really kind of gross. It's... And then these kids all become, you know, very much their, their sort of become evil kids that yeah. have to kill each other to remove the skin from these well there's a really kind of like disgusting sequence where betty from some mothers do have has a patch of hair on her leg oh yes uh the surgeon uh comes along and he gets like a scalpel knife and you see him sharpening the knife and then you see him sort of like putting a he's like washing around the the infected area and then it's like in real time, he basically takes the scalpel and he cuts like a shaving and a patch of fur on her leg is like, uh, what? It's the size of one and a half cheese and ham sandwiches, right? <laughs> it's like it's like quite a big kind yeah. of like patch on her leg. And he goes around and he cuts through it. He cuts around the edge very delicately and then he kind of like... Um, uh, cuts underneath it with the scalpel very delicately because he only wants to take the top surface of skin off, and it just uh, and then he basically just cuts off this flap of furry yes. skin, and then he puts it in a little jar and puts a bit of uh, uh, muslin over it, and it is it's it's I wouldn't say it's like the most graphic thing ever, but and and it's obviously kind of like got like seventies special effects and makeup effects and stuff, but um. Yeah, it really kind of it's sets disgusting. you on edge. It's dis- it's disgusting. It's unsettling. It's. Um, I mean, that's what that's the strength of the whole. It's film, unpleasant. Though, right? You know, it's, you don't want to eat when you're watching it. You know, it's really it's atmospheric in a way that a lot of these films don't quite muster in that way. It's got a really it's got a great soundtrack with a guy called Mark Wilkinson, which really adds to it. Um, it's just basically everything about it works. And it creates this very eerie, apart from, like you say, there's some sort of 70s haircuts. But apart from that, it has a real sense of, oh, I you're, think you're, that, you've gone back in time and you're well, watching. No, I think that his hair would have been like that back then. Oh, no, I He's think kind that. of like the main character, yeah. isn't he? That guy that's plowing it. There's a bit like, I mean, it is about like, there is like a class thing that's going on in there. There's a bit like later on in the end. Uh, near the end when um, he's he's at his house and they're kind of like they don't know what to do and then uh, the judge pulls up with his kind of like coach and horses and he's like going the master's here the master's here. and he's got like you've got this peasant who um, is like doing like hard labour 
morning, noon and night. He's chopping down trees, he's ploughing fields, he's doing all this sort of stuff. And he's overjoyed that his master, his rich master is here to come along and solve the, solve the problem and save the day. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like, come on, mate, have some self-respect as a character. No, I think I think you're absolutely right, and that's and that's but that's the ear, isn't it? And that's what that's who all these people. Well, are. it's it's like and one of the things that I, I I thought when I was watching it was that it would have been absolutely shit being living in that time period. There's one point when the judge is he's got his um, Charles II kind of like curly wig on, and he's sat in his in his uh, at his dining room next to the fire. And a guy comes in and gives him the news. And while he's talking to him, you know, he picks up an apple and polishes it. And it's just like, that's probably all you would have had for entertainment back then, is to polish an <laughs> apple. Do you know what I mean? It would look like, what do you do in the evenings? And of course, in the evenings, there was fuck all to do. It was cold. It was miserable. So, you know, uh, you invent kind of like conspiracies and problems. Yeah. And, 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 it, and there's gossip. And that's what would have being your form of entertainment in the evening is the gossip and um and yeah it's just kind of like it, that, it really that, recreates it, that era so it, well it, it does because like they use like all like natural lighting you know it's it's not quite barry linden but mm. like the but like the like when you're seeing kind of interior scenes there's kind of like scenes in barns that are, that are filmed at dusk and you can just basically see what's going on through the through the fading daylight that's going coming through the window and um and there's bits there's the scenes that are kind of lit entirely by uh, candlelight and by fire uh, you know like the, by the fireplace and and the lighting is kind of like really minimalistic and kind of um and it just makes everything feel really kind of like grubby and dirty. And realistic. There's something real, like mm. it, you sort of really buy into this thing. Again, it doesn't feel like sets. It feels like you're really buying into this this whole world. Yeah. It, and, and, it, and it does a really good job of kind of like take, yeah, like um, like showing like it starts off with this guy plowing the field and you're kind of like, oh, right, yeah. It's this, nice. It's pastoral. There's something quite, that's it. It starts off with this thing where you, it's showing you almost like a painting of like this old, oldie worldy England and you go oh isn't it nice and immediately something comes into this thing that's gonna like destroy everything mm. <laughs> and it's really it's really insidious and it's it's just everything everything about the design is great the design of the devil is horrible it's just really like almost disgusting looking kind the of half of the, animal well the first time you see uh Satan's claw the first time mm. you see the claw you know, is there's the there's the girl coming down the yes. banisters and she's sort of like been like absolutely she's like hypnotized mm. and she's got like this weird sort of smile and it reminded me of stuff like from Evil Dead as, mm. as well, you know, when she's basically she's possessed and there's this young girl and she's coming down the stairs and she just puts her hand on the banister and then you just sort of like you're not sure what you've seen or what it is, but it's kind of like like um like a like like a uh, like a porcupine kind of claw, you know, mm. that's kind of like that that ends up on the. Um, it's like this, like this. Yeah, it's long, it really yeah long clawed kind of like, like it's like this thing, and you go like, well, what was that? And, and you just have to see all these little things that you're seeing growing on people are just parts of this sort of mm. weird animal man that's coming back from the dead. Mm. And you only really see him very briefly at the end, and it's horrible. We see it very briefly in the end, but like I, I watched it on my TV upstairs. I mean, I've seen it before. 
Um, but I rewatched it on my TV upstairs, and the TV upstairs uh, doesn't have uh, like the right plug sockets on the back, so I can put a Blu-ray player. It's mm-hmm. that old. The TV is up, like the screen is like it's a terrible screen. Um, so uh, yeah, it's sort of it's difficult to see. Mm-hmm. It was difficult to make out what was going on on my terrible TV yeah. that was upstairs, but um, but you kind of like get a glimpse here and there of what it is, and then at, uh, and at the end when they're sort of like fighting it, you still really don't no. know what it is. You're still kind of like left scratching your head about it. Or um, Linda Hayden is kind of absolutely hypnotic. Yeah, in it. yeah, and just kind of stunning. This sort of uh, uh, and and again didn't have like a massive career. Really the back of it well when you look at it she did a lot of confessions of a window cleaner films yeah i think she i think uh, her and robin asquith were dating oh right well she was in uh, queen kong oh uh, yeah, yeah as a nun uh that um and i was that like oh she's sense. in queen kong oh that's amazing like uh, so 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 we made a, we made a movie in england that was about and then you look at it it's got robin asquith in it yeah. you go, oh right it was a sex comedy <laughs> right sure um, I thought we'd done sort of like our version of it, and it was like, oh, we, no. well, we did kind of in the sixties. There's Congo. Have you seen Congo? I've not seen. I've Congo not seen that worth. Congo. <laughs> there's Congo and Gorgo, which are like right. Godzilla and I've, King Kong. Yeah, I've not seen both I've, with Michael Goff. I've not seen either. Oh well, good old good good for him. Um, <laughs> I've not seen either of those. I did watch uh, the sequel to uh, the seventies King Kong. Was it Son of Kong? I didn't know they did a sequel to the seventies one. Yeah, it's got oh, Linda really? Hamilton in it. Linda Hamilton in it. It was made in. This. It's like nineteen eighty six, maybe. And um, oh yeah, no idea. Uh, yeah, it's like a, it starts with um, the end of the Jeff Bridges one, and Kong falls off the twin towers, and then the beginning is then basically they rushing Kong to hospital <laughs> on like. I don't know how they get him there. And then, <laughs> then you hear his heartbeat and then you realise that Kong was a woman and was pregnant. Queen Kong. I think that's I think that's what it is. I like it's it's not brilliant, but it's not I had no idea they made a sequel. The, like the King Kong uh, remake, seventies remake is not very good. Mm. And the sequel is a worthy sequel of that. It yes. might even be better. It right. might even be better than that one. But um uh yeah, right, okay. So how do we get on to that? Um Linda Hayden. Linda Hayden. So Linda Hayden, um, yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. As Angel, Angel Blake. Yeah, she's called Angel. It's a bit on the nose, but yeah, <laughs> um, and 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 kind of like the way it is is kind of yeah, it's a supernatural film, mm. but it's also uh, it's also kind of like Village of the Damned in a way where all the children turn yeah. against the adults, well, and it's also a about like entrapment like. as yeah. well, where um, uh, where she kind of like. Uh, thrusts herself on the priest and the priest kind of rejects her yeah. and then she just tells yeah. uh, the captain from hello hello that uh <laughs> that um and, and it's ridiculous but i was i was shocked that he wasn't german <laughs> do you know what i mean um and she tells the guy the captain from hello hello that basically uh he uh tried to try to attack her tried to assault like sexually assault her and he doesn't do any backup research whatsoever he just instantly goes and accuses him of this thing and tries to get a uh, a confession out of him and it's kind of like it's like very um it's a very sort of like timely piece mm. where it's about kind of like a witch hunt in mm. a way um 
Yeah, there's loads in this film that's kind of like... It's got, it is, it's got that... I mean, people can kind of look at a lot of those movies and sort of dismiss them, but they're, they're really kind of... that's a, It's a real proper film, Blood and Satan's Claw. It's not... It's not, and it's not for children, or it's not sort of real kind of B movie entertainment. I mean, it is a B movie by budget, but it's it's really, you know, it's kind of like a proper film for adults about real subjects, yeah. but also has this supernatural element. And I would say that it was kind of, um, it's 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 really well directed, um, but it's kind of like he's not got like it's not in, imposing. Do you know what mm. I mean? There's like little, little, well, you know, like using natural light and like all the things. And um, whenever you see, um, uh, what's she called again? Linda Linda, whenever you see Linda Hay Hayden, they light her eyes so that there's kind of like a shiny white light in both of her pupils. Like, and it's kind of subtle, mm. but you look at her and she's got like the shiniest eyes. She's really evil in this mm. film, and it's kind of like, it, it's kind of brilliant. Um, when you ran Black Decagon, uh, you when and when you screened Blood on Satan's Claw, um, uh, Piers Haggard actually came yeah, in to do a talk, to, didn't yeah, he? Do, like, he a did he introduce after. it or did he do like a Q &A We did like at Q and A the at the end. Yeah, I I went to that. Um, You'd kind of organised it, hadn't you? Because you'd asked. Um, oh, was that how it went? Is yeah, no, because I didn't. It, it was a long time ago. Well, um, well, Piers Haggard uh, was Daisy Haggard's dad, and um, and me and Daisy worked together on Uncle. And uh, I, I, I got his contact info off Daisy, and then he came along and did this thing, and then um, and then you met him. But I got I got to meet him, and he was just absolutely he was lovely to me mm. because you know I'd, I'd been working with Daisy, um, and showed an interest in in his films. You know, um, yeah, he was just a really delightful. I think that's it, and it's, delightful it's people guy. who do. He's someone who seems to you know. He took his, his work seriously and it was that he's had this whole career. You know, he was director on Dennis Potter's Pennies from Heaven um, and he had a masquerade, almost like much bigger on TV, but this, the TV he's doing was much more like real kind of prestige television stuff as well. Mm. And he didn't do... Um, uh, he probably actually probably did maybe like 10 sort of cinema movies, but his main kind of... Uh, his main kind of output was on television, doing really kind of high-end quality television. But I think it's... and But that's more to do with the industry. There was no British film industry at the time. If you started making films in the early 70s, you really, in Britain, they weren't making films. So TV was where you went. And he had a great career making lots of really kind of high-end prestige TV. Uh, but Blood and Satan's Claw is really, for a really early film of his, is really shows something of like uh of a talent that you'd think in a more healthy industry could have been nurtured into being like a big cinema director it's saying something about blood on satan's claw that um it's become more and more prominent within the folk horror mm. uh what community within yeah. the folk horror genre it's becoming more and more prominent as time goes by yeah uh, than it was at the time. Yeah, absolutely. But the big, the big guys are the Wicker Man and um, Witchfinder. and the Witchfinder General, and 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 now this film as those were big films with kind of big stars in them. You know, you got Vincent mm. Price and Christopher Lee, and they're in these two films, and of course they're going to be timeless. They're going to come up all the time because of these you know huge careers, um, and uh, and then. Uh, 
as time has gone on, this film has kind of like collected with those other two, and, and now, just continue to be, I think. And 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 my personal opinion is is my favourite of the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, your opinion is that it's at least a close second to Wicker Man, and um, and it's and even if it's not your favourite, it's in the mix. Oh yeah, and um, and it's now what fifty two years old, and we're talking about it. And we're still, uh, you know, uh, I think it's gr- it grows in popularity, and um, and he was a lovely guy, and uh, and he was a talented filmmaker, talented director, and uh, if if you if you're going to rewatch anything at this moment, or you want an entry point to, to to watch some of the other stuff that he's done, then this is a, this is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant film, and he brilliant was a, film. he was a, he was a lovely guy, great guy. Um, Okay, so we've come to the end of another episode. I'm doing an impression of you, aren't I, JC3000? Yes, too. Ah. Oh, my God, you got very Dalek-y then. Might not even need to use the sound effect for you this time. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Oh, no. A, a bit Jimmy Savile. He's got well. a bit... He's getting overheated. <laughs> malfunction, malfunction. Oh, God. Okay, right. Um, uh, just kick him out of the back. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kick him out the trap door, and uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, we can repair him by next week. Just gonna, just uh, there we go. Kicked him out. The, oh my head! Oh, sorry, Brian. You still, still, didn't, still down there. Didn't realize you were still down there. <laughs> well, you're as good as each other. Anyway, we've come to uh, another end um, of another <laughs> of, episode of another episode of. Nick and Nat consuming a bay. Um, but first, before we end it, we've got to we've got to play the world famous and getting more popular by the second game. What year? What year? What year? What year is the game when I give uh, Nick Helm ten questions to which he has to answer what year? And it's two points for a correct answer or one point for one year either side. Yeah, you'll get that. <laughs> you'll you get that. <laughs> Nick Hell, what year <laughs> did the sitcom Seinfeld start? Did we play this? Haven't we already done this? What year did the sitcom Seinfeld start? 1992. 1989. Fuck off! Yeah. Fuck off! That's what I would have said. Do you know what? It definitely didn't come to England until much later. I think it came to England in 19... It came to England before Friends. Yeah. So 1992... It also came to England at the same time as the Larry Sanders show, I remember. Right. Uh, so I, I... And Seinfeld was, like, jumping around the schedule. Yeah. It was like, one minute, it's, uh, hey, it's on at 9 o'clock. It's on at 11 o'clock. It's on 3 a.m. It's on at 7 a.m. <laughs> 7 p.m. Yeah, it was like 7 a.m. It was all over. It's on at 7 a.m. It's on all. It was yeah. on all over the place. Um, God, yeah, that makes sense. That it was 1989, but it feels like it should have been 1992. Yeah. Nick what year did the film Rambo: First Blood Part Two come out? 1986. 1985. Oh fuck off. Nick what year did Heath Ledger die? Uh, that would be 2008. Correct. Two points. The character of Tarzan first appeared in what year? 1912. Two points. You fuck off. No, he's nailed it. Fuck off. The Muppet Show began in what year? 1976. Two points. The original Flash Gordon comic strip first appeared in what year? Uh, 19... 
The film Escape from LA was released in David Cronenberg's A History of Violence was the final film to be released on VHS. In what year? I think it came out in 2005. Two points! Oh my god, I was gonna. Well, if, I, if you'd have let me continue. Oh, go on. I was gonna say, I think it came out in 2005, so if it came out on VHS, it would have been. But you know, okay. two points. It came out in 2005. Okay. Yeah. Idris Elba was born in what year? Is he gonna be like a lot younger than you would imagine? Is he? How old would you imagine he is? Was he born in 1969? 1972. Oh, fucking hell. Fucking hell. Fucking, so he's 50 this year. Well, he's he's 50. 50 last year. 50 last year. 51 this okay. year. Final uh, question, Nick. Okay, so nothing for, for two points. Um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was made in 1989, but in what year was it set? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was made... 1939 I had a good run of them. You did. Cannot believe I knew what year Tarzan. Tarzan. That, that was, was a highlight. Bonkers, that right? was a highlight. That's like when uh, the other, like all oh, that many weeks ago, I got Dracula, right? Do you remember that? Ages ago. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten points out of... Twenty. Oh, that's not very good. Fifty percent. It's quite good. Mm. It mm. is good. What did I get last week? Eight. Eight. Um, You're getting there. And the week before, I think I got thirteen. Oh, well, that's Thirteen. Not so... Eight and then ten this week. All right, okay. Well, I'm very disappointed with myself there. Well, um, I wouldn't feel disappointed about it, Nick, because um, remember, I appreciate you. Sure, but before. Oh yeah. And I do appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you want to write in, oh with, yeah, of um, course. Oh, and, and and also do us a, do us a solid. 
write us a five star review on Apple. Oh yeah. Uh, give us a, give us some fucking five star. We've had a couple of five star reviews on Apple. Give us some fucking five star reviews. On All Apple, of you. Please. We we really we would we really appreciate it. We appreciate you, you guys. Um, so send us give us some five star reviews on Apple. If you've got any touching tips that you need uh, that you need responding to, <laughs> uh, if you've got any uh, suggestions for stuff that we can watch, or if you've just got any appreciation mail, then please write in to Nick, Nick and, and Nat J C A S at Gmail dot com. That's N I C K A N D N A T J C J C A S at symbol G M A I L dot C O M. Come. Great. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Paul. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you, Nat. I appreciate you, Paul. And, and I, I appreciate... <laughs> Sorry, Brian. That's all right. I'm fine. I'll get me... I'll get me a Oh, that's all right. I couldn't really make it much of that out. Of course, um, I, I worked with Paul on the band on the run. Yeah, right. Sure, Chris. Fine. Okay. okay um, They're all um, here. Oh, JC3000 is... No, uh, oh, no. Do we appreciate... No, he's... He's, he's smoking. There's plumes of black smoke coming out of it. Oh, that's not good. Oh, dear. Well, I better okay. go and fix that. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be fixed by next week. Hopefully. I think we should expand on all of these characters. Yeah, I think yeah, it's good, should, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, got yeah. a whole I cast. I don't know if it's good, but... No, it's not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I, it's something. I think there's genuinely some of the listeners out there that think that we're getting like, actual Brian Johnson in to do the fucking fan mail. That's week. good. I think that's yeah. good. I do appreciate them, though, for listening. I do. Um, Later, Later, losers! losers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. You should not obey. You should not obey.